Welcome to the Burning Hearts Church Podcast. We are so glad that you're joining us this week. On this week's episode, we hear from Global Awakening Associate Evangelist, William Wood. Thank you, family. Wow. Before we get started, let's just take a moment. Let's just go before the Lord in prayer and just... I want you to, in your own way, just invite him to come into this, into this service this morning. So, Father, we just invite your spirit, your presence to come and just rest upon us, Lord. You, you love to be invited by your children. And we as your sons and we as your daughters, we just invite you to come in the fullness that you want to come, Lord. Lord, we give you permission to open up our hearts this morning and go as deep into our hearts as you so desire, God. Because it's our heart and it's our desire to, to, to want what you want for us, Father God, and to go after the things that you have designed us to go after, Father God, the good works that you prepared beforehand for us to walk in, God. We, we want to have a full revelation and understanding of those works that you have called us to live according to, Father. Lord, I just, ask that, I just ask that you would even manifest yourself in a way that we've never seen nor experienced before. The Word of God says in Hebrews that it's faith is the conviction of things not seen. So it's, it's when we posture our hearts in a place of faith, expecting what we have never seen before, that's a true expression of faith. It's no longer faith if you only expect what you've already seen. And so, Lord, this morning we posture our hearts to expect creative miracles, to expect you to come in a way that we've never in our lives experienced nor seen before, Father. If if Moses' face could be illumined with the glory, then I want this, this room this morning to be like it was with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration where his entire being was illumined with the glory of the Father. Oh, Lord, I just, I just wonder what this service can look like if we all came with a place of expectancy, expecting heaven to be real in this room. Oh, just take a moment, just allow your mind to settle, allow your heart to settle, to come to a place of peace and attention unto the person of Jesus. Amen and amen and amen. I'm just so excited to be here. And, and like Pastor Jana mentioned, we will be doing a, uh, a healing service tonight. And, and so I just encourage you, if you need healing in your body or you know someone that needs healing, just, just bring them. Um, a couple of months ago, we had a guy in one of my meetings. He was paralyzed on one side of his body for over 10 years he had a $100,000 leg brace that allowed him to be able to walk without crutches or without assistance, outside assistance. Well, the power of the Lord began to touch him in the meeting. He comes to the front. Not only was his leg paralyzed uh, or partial paralysis, but his, 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 well, it was his left arm. His left arm was withered in a sense. He couldn't move it. So he comes up and he's worshiping and, and he goes to lift his hands and he realizes both hands are lifted. You know, both hands are lifted and he's praising Jesus and he looks down at his leg. He's like, well, I'm just going to take my leg brace off and see what's happening, you know. And so he takes his leg brace off and he throws it down and he realizes the paralysis in the leg is gone. And he realizes he can walk normal now. Come on. For the first time in 10 years. Wow. Well, two weeks later, I was ministering at a church and I didn't realize it, but it was his home church. And I'm ministering, and right before the service, he comes up to me. He, said, he says, you recognize me? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I recognize you. are walking normal. You, you, I mean, it's like nothing ever happened was, or was wrong with you. He says, well, tonight when you go for impartation, you start praying for people. I'm going to be your catcher tonight. And when people start falling, I'm going to be right there. I'm going to catch them. I'm like, come on, man. I just loved his enthusiasm, you know. And so I encourage you to please bring, come out tonight. We're going to have fun. We're going to go after the Lord. And, 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 and matter of fact, I say, I'll put it to you this way as it pertains to healing. If you don't believe in the supernatural, then you don't even believe in your own salvation. Think about it. You were born again. Have you thought about that? If God no longer heals, if God is no longer supernatural, then none of us can be saved. 
Think about it. You know, the beauty of the cross is he didn't just pay for your sins. He also paid for your healing. That's the reason you, see, that's the reason you all throughout the gospel is you see Jesus forgiving sins and healing. Well, they go hand in hand. What did Jesus accomplish on the cross by his blood? Forgiveness of sins. What did he demonstrate going to the cross? Healing of people's bodies. So forgiveness of sin and healing of natural physical body goes hand in hand. It's the same. It's uh, both sides of the same coin. And so I encourage you to come out tonight because we're going to have fun. Before we get into today's topic, I do want to mention I did bring some product with me. Now, I want to make this statement before I talk about product because I don't want you to misunderstand my heart. I do not bring product to make money. I bring product to make disciples, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Amen? And so I want you to notice, know that everything that I sell goes right back into the ministry, goes right back into the advancement of the kingdom. And just in 2019, we saw over 500,000 people come to the Lord. Amen? So I want you to know... That's what you're investing into. You're not just investing into what we're doing around the world, but you're also investing into the development of your Christian journey and discipleship. Amen? So, is there anybody here you like free things? You like anything free? Oh, just a couple of you. Okay. Man, yours. It's yours, brother. Now, that's how you do it. He demonstrated what faith looks like, right? <laughs> Woo, that was beautiful. Well, anyway, uh, what teaching? You don't even know what teaching that is, brother. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Huh? Well, that was, I think that was a teaching that I did entitled uh, Imitating Jesus. How many of us know that the term Christian means little Christ? And every single one of us that is a born-again believer, we are here to reveal the person of Jesus Christ on this earth. As a matter of fact, in Genesis chapter 1, it says, God created you in his image. And so why did he create you in his image? To be an exact representation of him on earth. So that means your thoughts, your intentions, and your actions reveal the God in whom you say you serve. And so how about this? What if people can look at our lives, hear, hear, hear our conversations, and say, he is revealing the nature of God? How many of us know that is, that is the sole purpose? Well, not the sole purpose. Your sole purpose is to be in relationship, but out of that relationship, reveal the nature of God. So in that teaching, I actually go through eight specific characteristics that mark the life of Christ that should mark the life of every single believer that says that they are a follower, follower of Jesus Christ. Amen? A matter of fact, your identity is so connected to Jesus that he is a mirror image of your created design. When you look into the life of Jesus, any way of thinking that would undermine his identity undermines yours. All right, I'll leave that alone. Let's go to, let's go to Luke chapter 15 as we prepare our hearts for the word of God. Is there anybody here that loves the Bible, that loves the word of God? Come on. I, 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 this is my favorite thing to do, this is my passion, is to teach the Word of God, and, and, and I, I feel like the main call and mandate that's on my life is to raise up a, a generation, is to raise up a generation that walks like Jesus and talks like Jesus, that walks in the fullness of what God designed them to walk in, and, and by, by the way that I do that is by equipping the saints through belief systems, through the Word of God, and just infusing them with truth, Amen. Because that's what we need. It's the truth that sets you free, right? And the same truth that sets you free will keep you free if you apply it to your life. That's why James chapter 1 says, don't just be a hearer of the word, but also a doer of the word, so deceiving yourself. So if I don't put application to the word I receive, then I deceive myself by thinking I have a truth. Okay. Luke chapter 15. We're going to look at a parable that most of us in this room will recognize this parable as the parable of the prodigal son. But I, I'm going to take the liberty of reheading this parable and call it the parable of the loving father. Because how many of us know this parable is really about a father that's about bringing redemption to two sons, right? And so it's not just about this one son that is lost. It's also about the older brother or the other son that is living in the house of the father but, th but is thinking like a lost son. Amen. And so we're going to look at this parable. We're going to primarily deal with the first son in this service. But before we get into the parable, I do want you to look at the verse, verses 1 and verse 2. 
Because this creates the context for all the parables that are spoken and revealed in this chapter. It creates this understanding, this context that Jesus begins to address. And I think it's important before we read the parable. Verse 1, tax collectors and other notorious sinners, everyone say sinner, often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees, everyone say Pharisees, and teachers of religious law complained that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. You know, how dare Jesus hang out with people that need help, right? What does these two verses reveal before we get into the parables? The very first verse reveals a value system of what Jesus came to this earth to do. And he came to this earth to redeem lost people, to go after the lost. And so that is a primary, that's a primary focus and value for the kingdom of heaven. Jesus came to this earth to redeem those that are lost. And so this reveals the first mindset that we're going to begin to address, and that is a lost mentality or a lost mindset. Now, before we get into the parable, I want you to know this. This isn't just talking about someone that doesn't know Jesus or, have it, or hasn't come to Jesus for salvation. This is also dealing with a mindset of believers that are sons that live in the church but think like an orphan. So it's, revealing two, it's dealing with two different things there. The second verse is, re, is dealing with what I would call a religious mindset. Because you see how the religious mindset addressed or dealt with Jesus. They were offended that Jesus was hanging out with sinners. They were offended that Jesus was hanging out with the lost. They were offended that Jesus would dare go to where the prostitutes and the homeless and the drug addicts were, you know? You see, this type of mindset is a religious mindset that I think is, 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 is really rampant in church in America today where the, we have developed this, this mentality that we are to disassociate ourselves from the world. How many of us know God has not called you to disassociate yourself from the people you're called to redeem? God has placed you here in this society and in this world as an answer to the world's problems. So when you disassociate yourself from the world, you give the devil purpose in the world. You see, your holiness is not found in your separation from sinners. It is found in your union with Christ. And so this begins, this begins to deal with this mindset that, that the religious people were actually disassociating themselves from the very ones that they should have been ministering to, from the very ones that they were sent on the earth to actually restore and redeem. And so they were offended at Jesus for actually hanging out with them. I wish I could really get to the, that mentality because I have a two-hour teaching on the religious spirit that would really bless you. It may even challenge you a little bit, but we're not going to get to him. So now let's read the parable. We're going to read it all the way through, and then we'll take it verse by verse. I told you I liked the Bible. You didn't know what you were getting yourself in, did you? Verse 11 says this from the NLT version. To illustrate this point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. Now remember, these two sons represent two mindsets that Jesus is addressing. The younger, the younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with judgment and condemnation. Is that what that says? No, it says, filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, he embraced him, and he kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the, ca the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for the son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. Now, that's what redemption should look like, isn't it? 
It's, it's time that people actually can come into a church service and not be condemned, but actually be redeemed. I was preaching in a church in California a couple months back, and there was a guy, he stumbled into the, he had to get drunk just to come to the service. And when he came into the service, the power of God hits him. He runs up to the front, and he's drunk, and he says, man, I don't know who you are, but there is a power that's on you, and there's a presence that's on me. And I, and I just realized right now, God is real. How can I be saved? And, he, I gave, and I led him to Jesus right there on the spot, you know. And then, then I made a mistake. I handed the mic to him. I said, well, share your testimony, man. Share your story. Now, remember, this guy came from the streets. He didn't know not to curse in church. He didn't know the language of Christianity, right? And so I hand him the mic, and he's like, he said, yeah, when I came in here, beep, 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 beep. I was getting drunk, beep, 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 beep. And all the air in the room was like, ooh. I mean, the, I mean, it was, I mean, it was silent. It was like, it was like the church died in that moment, you know. And he was like, he said, when I felt this presence, he like beep, 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 and God is real, people. And he's looking, and everyone's like, ah! And I stopped him. I said, well, I said, hold on, just a minute. And I put my arm around him. I said, how many of us were probably offended at this man's testimony? Well, we should be celebrating the fact that a son got redeemed. And we're stumbling over the language that he's using instead of focusing on the fact that God called him, that God touched him, that God redeemed him, that God called him to the forefront, and he's cutting off these things. You see, we need to stop being, being offended at sinners when they sin. They don't know any better. That's why they need you to role model Jesus to them so that they see another set of value systems, which is not judgment and condemnation. Anyway. Do you see that this first son represents that first mindset that I was talking about? Now, I want you to pay attention to this older brother or this older son in here. It says, meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home and heard music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants what was going on, your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We must celebrate because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. You see the mindset? This is the religious mindset. He was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, All these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me. And all that time you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf? His father said to him, Look, dear son, you have always been by me, dummy, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. Do you see the mindset of this person? He, he, is, a, he is a son that's been in the house of the father all the days of his life, and yet he never knew the value system of the father. He never even knew his rights as a son. He was offended at the redemption of his brother, and he was offended because he was celebrating his redemption. You see, that's a religious mindset. They always get offended at when God blesses somebody else. Anyway. And he goes to the father. He's like, all these years I. You see, a religious person lives their life as if God is indebted to them. He says, all these years I've been doing this and I've been doing that. And you never once gave me even one young goat. And the father was like, dude, you lived in my house all the days of your life. Everything that I have is yours. If you wanted a cow, go kill it and have a party. Like, why are you complaining? Because I chose to celebrate my son that was lost. When you have been a son and been with me all the days of your life, you should be having, having celebration with your friends anyway. So why are you offended? You see, a religious person always requires God to do everything for them. They don't realize that God wants to do things through you, not for you. Anyway, that's a side note. So let's pick this up in verse 1. I love picking on that other brother. Verse 1 says this. I mean, verse 11, I'm sorry, says this. To illustrate this point, 
further, Jesus told him a story. Now, he's creating a picture. He's creating a scene. He's creating the story. Now, I want you to picture the story and what he is communicating. This is how I study the Bible. This is how I receive revelation, is I actually put myself into the story itself so that I can see not just what's written, but what's hidden. So I can, he can pull me into the scene, and I can see how I would respond if I was the one in the conversation. And so Jesus told them the story, and he said, a man had to sons. Do you realize Jesus is revealing another value system? It it does not say a man had two sinners. It says a man had two sons. So what does this reveal about Jesus? This reveals that when he came to this earth, his main objective was not to save sinners. It was to redeem lost children. I thought that was a good point. It really blessed me. This right here creates a new set of lens in which you and I should interpret life through. Let me ask you, when you look into the world, when you look into society, do you see sinners or lost children? Because if you see sinners, then you will disassociate yourself from their redemption. But if you see a brother or a sister, that's the reason he says a man had two sons. Because Jesus is trying to connect the religious person to the lost. And he's trying to get the religious person to see that that, that the lost individual is actually their brother and sister. And so why? So Jesus is trying to get them to see, no, you should stop disassociating yourself from them. They're actually your brother and sister. And if you would put a new set of lens on where you no longer see them as sinners, but you actually see them as children that don't know their father. And so now you can actually come along beside your brother and sister and bring redemption. Amen. And so this is what Jesus is addressing in this parable. He's creating this paradigm and connecting the religious to the lost. And he's trying to say, no, we're family, which creates another dynamic. Everything that that God does is done through the context of family. The culture of heaven is family. That's why when we get into heaven, you're not going to have the Methodists over here and the Baptists over here. No, we're going to be all together celebrating the Lordship of Christ as brothers and sisters, right? Because that's the context and the culture of heaven is that it is family. Family. A matter of fact, the creator of this universe has so divinely con- uh, d- designed your significance to the point where your significance can never be found outside of the context of family in your life. Let me say it a different way. My significance is divinely connected to your purpose in my life. But yet, we look at the message of sonship, we look at the message of identity, and we kind of process it through the Western worldview. The Western worldview focuses on the individual. The biblical worldview focuses on the people. You see, we have this understanding of sonship through this Western worldview. What it's it's doing is raising up individuals and not brotherhood. It's raising up individuals that say, I know who I am, but they're not concerned about anybody else. You see, when you are focused on yourself, you can live according to a false maturity. How many of us have family? How many of us have family members that every time you get around, it causes things to come up inside of you that you didn't know you were dealing with? (laughs) Just the way they walk, you just kind of want to slap them. You know what I'm saying? You see, through the Western worldview, if you become an individual, an individual focus about just you, all of a sudden, you begin to live according to this false maturity because you dislocate yourself or disassociate yourself from the context of family. And now, because you're not in family, you don't see the flaws that are hidden. But the beauty of, the, the beauty of family is that family doesn't expose each other's weaknesses. They're actually there to cover them. Why do you think the Bible says love covers a multitude of sins? It doesn't cover sin so that you can continue in it. It actually covers it so that you can deal with it under the protection of love. You see, when we live in the context of family, I don't look at your weakness as an opportunity for me to expose you. I look at your weakness as an opportunity for me to cover it and bring redemption. What if the enemy was, a- was able to see our weaknesses because our family members are, expo- are exposing them instead of covering them? Oh, man, I, I, this is good news, man. <laughs> Am I too Pentecostal? I'm sorry. <laughs> How 
it's like, the Bible's in me just like fire in my bones. And I get to talking about God. I can't help myself. He's irresistible. And he's just in me. It's just pulsating, man. But I'm trying to get you to see a context, a culture of heaven that Jesus is revealing. No, we're interconnected with one another. We're divinely connected to one another, and we need to value each other and know and understand. I'm here to cover you, and you're here to cover me. I'm here to strengthen you, and you're here to strengthen me. That my purpose is divinely connected to your role in the advancement of the kingdom of God in my life. That's how significant that you are, is the body of Christ is incomplete without you. Huh? That's how significant you are. So why would you even desire to be someone else? Do you realize when you desire to be someone else, it's a sin against your own design? You see, every single one of you are born an original, so don't die a copy. Anyway, I thought that was a good word. It goes on to say this. The younger son told his father... It says, the younger son told his father, and this is what he tells him, and this is what establishes a lost mentality or a lost son mentality in your life. He comes to the father and says this, I want my share of your estate now before you die. Do you see what causes him to become a lost son? He begins a statement with, I want. Whenever you begin a statement with, I, you've chosen your will. Let's try this out. Anytime you begin a statement with, I want, you've chosen your desire and your will above the Father. The most beautiful gift that God has given every single one of you is a will. The ability to decide, the ability to choose, the ability to govern, the ability to to desire to submit your will under the submission to the Father. There was nobody more free than Jesus himself. Yet, Jesus himself came to this earth and he said, it is my will to do the will of my Father. And he demonstrated what freedom looked like. Freedom doesn't look like independence. It looks like submission. Okay. You see, the lie that this son is bought into is that he thinks his freedom is found in his independence. Freedom is not found in your independence. It is found in submission to your liberator, the creator God, over your life. Because if you think your freedom is found in your independence, then your voice will will pervert your design. Because the only way that you can live according to your created purpose is if your purpose is defined by the creator. But when you try to define your own created purpose, you will pervert what he made perfect. Are you guys okay? That's right, you guys are thinkers, I forget. Some regions I go into, they're like, and then other regions I go into, they're like, hmm. That's the region I'm in, isn't it? I have to remember those things because I'm like, you know, that's kind of the way I am. But is this making sense to you? This, this lost mentality begins when I take my will out from under submission to the lordship of Christ. One of the major stumbling blocks for the gospel right now is the gospel is being presented and Christ is being presented as Savior but not as Lord. Are you following me? We are, we're creating a gospel that shows the benefits of the kingdom but not the surrendering of the kingdom. Okay. It's showing the benefits of the kingdom. Are you getting me? It's, it's showing the blessings of the hand of the Lord. It's showing everything that you will receive as a blessing from the Lord. But what we're stripping from it, we're stripping away everything where it talks about you submitting your Lord and your, I mean your life unto the Lordship of Christ. Do you realize when you gave your life to Jesus, you lost your right to represent yourself? Because not only is Jesus your Savior, he is the governor of your life. He is the Lord of your life. That means you, say, you have chosen to say, I submit my desires, I submit my values, I submit everything that I am under the lordship of my creator, and now I am on this earth not to represent myself in Jesus' name, but I'm actually here to represent Jesus. But this Western culture has created a gospel that makes Jesus informed in man's image instead of man being formed in his. Because this Western mindset is developing a gospel of blessing that gets you to see the hand of the Lord but not the face of the Lord. Are you guys okay? 
Oh, yeah, you thinkers. That's right. Are you seeing this family? Do you even realize that before Satan was Satan, he was an angel of light? And do you realize that even the angelic host in heaven have a will? Okay, you don't believe me. Okay, let's look at Isaiah 14. I'm going to show you something about Satan. Before Satan was, was Satan, he was an angel. He, he, he was an angel of light called Lucifer, right? And where do you think he dwelled? Where do you think he lived? He lived in the very kingdom that you and I abide in. So why do you think he's always attacking you according to, the, to, according to the things that the Bible says about you? Because he knows the inheritance you have. He knows the benefits you have. He knows the power you have. He knows the authority that you have. That's why he's constantly trying to convince you that you don't have it. Because he came from there. Isaiah 14 says this, verse 12. How you have fallen from heaven, O shining star, son of the morning. You have been thrown down to the earth, you who destroyed the nations of the world. For you said to yourself. Did you get it? What did he do? He said to himself. Anytime you say to yourself, now you've chosen your voice as the creator and the definer of your created purpose and value. He said to himself what he didn't realize when he started saying to himself became the judgment of his own existence. Now, let me see what he says. For he said to himself, I will ascend to heaven and set my throne above God's stars. I will preside on the mountain of the gods far away in the north. I will climb to the highest of heavens and be like the most high. All these I statements, in essence, what was he doing? His voice was, was now creating his own evil. Do you realize Lucifer prophesied Satan? You see, God did not create evil. Evil was created when an angel took his will out from under submission and allowed his voice to pervert his design. Man, I thought that was a good point. So what do you think when you, what happens when you take your will out from under submission to the Father? The voice that you have to reinforce your, de your destiny actually perverts it and dismantles it. And now you become an image of the greatest lie you believe about yourself instead of the truth of the gospel. Okay. I'm not interested in perverting my design. I'm interested in me being awakened to the reality of the purpose I was created to walk in. You see, I'm not a product of my environment. I am a product of my created purpose. And so therefore, I see the truth of the gospel and I allow the truth of the gospel to become the prophetic voice in which I speak from. Because I know when I speak from the truth of the gospel, I, my words are in alignment with heaven's purpose for my life. Man, I just want to kick something. <laughs> <laughs> Not because I'm mad. I'm just like, oh, I don't know what to do with all the power. I think literally, I think one day I'm just going to blow up. I'm just going to be preaching like, boom, William's gone. <laughs> Is this making, <laughs> I know I'm a little goofy. Just bear with me. Listen, God is fun. The gospel is fun. Family is fun, man. It, it, it's time that we actually come in church and don't feel uncomfortable, right? We actually feel comfortable about being, being around family so that we can enjoy the presence of God in freedom. That's what we want to do, and that's the kind of church that you're in. So be you. Don't worry about it. If you want to shout, you shout. You want to run, you run. You want to sit there and think, you think. Anyway, Luke chapter 15, verse 14. <laughs> And so we, no, 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 let me back up here. Let me finish the first. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. Now, why did the father agree to divide his wealth between his sons? God is not interested in controlling you. God is not interested in having slaves. He's interested in having sons. And so even though he understands, though this is not a good decision, he is not interested in controlling the son to remain in the home because forced love is rape, not just forced sex. You hear me, family? God is not going to violate your design. He's not going to violate your will. He's not going to pervert what he's made holy. And so he's not, he's not looking to control you. And so what does he do? He doesn't actually give the, the son his inheritance. He gives him a resource. Oh, boy. 
Do you realize that the older brother, the rebuke the father had to him was because of the fact that everything in the father's house was already his? Right? In other words, the, both of these sons already have access to everything in the father's house. But what this son doesn't want, he is not interested in access to the father's house. He wants ownership of it. He actually wants to take the blessings of the Lord. He actually wants the inheritance of everything that's in that kingdom. And he wants to be able to be the governor of those things. Because now he literally wants, he wants to be the one that decides what to use and how to use it and where to go and what to do with it. Not the father. You see it? You see, this type of mentality lives for the hand of the Lord, but not the face of the Lord. <sighs> Do you realize that he chose a resource over a source? Why do you think when he went to his own land to build his own kingdom, that resource was depleted and he, became, and he stepped into a place of poverty? Why? He sacrificed the source for a resource. Oh, man. Okay, you don't believe me. We won't read it. He goes on to say this. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, listen to this, the younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great Famine swept over the land. You see, about the time his money ran out, about the time his resource ran out, about the time that he thought he was connected to the unlimited resource, about the time he came into the awareness that he no longer had access to the kingdom in which he left from. That's why you can come into a service right here. God can touch you and you'll be good for about three months. But if you sacrifice his lordship in your life, you begin to operate according to the hand, but not according to the face. And all of a sudden, you choose a resource over the source of the Father. You see, this son is still living his life as if he has an unlimited provision. He doesn't yet realize that he is depleting his bank account. And so now, he goes to this land, which becomes a land of false liberty. Why is it a false liberty? Because he is bought into the lie that his freedom is in independence. You see, not only did he want his ownership of his life, he wanted to build his own land because he didn't want the Father to have oversight. And so he goes to this land, and he says, about the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. And so now he gets to this land, and he comes to this realization, oh, no, I am a moron, right? He comes to this realization, oh, no, I am broke. And now, and now. He, because he's not in the father's house or in the father's land, now he has to go under submission to another ruler. You see, he still found himself in submission, but now it's not in submission to a liberator. Now it's in submission to someone that's going to feed him to the pigs or send him to the pigs. You see, you'll either be submitted to the kingdom of heaven or you'll be, or you'll be uh, 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 submitted to the kingdom of this world. Are you following me? You see, when you're submitted to the kingdom of heaven, you'll live according to the freedom of that kingdom. But when you are submitted to the kingdom of this world, you're living according to the level of truth it allows you to live according to. It'll give you just enough of identity for you to feel better about your situation, but not actually bring redemption. Because the world is interested in bringing comfort and not transformation. You see, Satan is okay with you being comfortable just as, long as you, just as long as you are not a redeemed son. And just as long as you don't make an impact in society, he'll let you be comfortable going to hell. All right. Are you guys okay? <laughs> okay. 
And so this son, he, he gets it and he comes to this realization, uh-oh, now I'm having to submit myself to, to someone that doesn't have my interest in mind. And now, and this person, this ruler isn't even feeding him. So now he finds his, he, he finds his life and the substance and the substance of his life is based on the goodness of people around him because it goes on to say, and no one was giving him anything to eat. What was this creating in him? A welfare mentality. No, don't misunderstand where I'm going with that. Every single one of us from time to time need help. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a mentality. I'm talking about a lifestyle where your entire identity is based on the goodness of the people around you instead of the union of your heavenly father. Right? You see, if that's your mentality, then you, then, you, then you have developed a victim mentality, and now you are doing say things that would cause you to be defeated. Do you realize this, this, life, this life right here never would have came to that conclusion if he would have kept his will under submission to the Father? And, but now he finds himself under submission to another ruler in a place of welfare where now his entire existence is based on the goodness of the people around him instead of the goodness of the Father and the kingdom in which he left from. And so in essence, he sacrificed the goodness of God for the goodness of man. I Man, I feel like boxing. Did you get that? Don't sacrifice the goodness of the Lord for the goodness of man. Because when you do that, then you sacrifice the favor of God for the favor of man. And the favor of man is based on your performance, but the favor of God is based on what Jesus has done. <laughs> you see, when you sacrifice the goodness of God for the goodness of man, what, pe- what people do for you is based on what you do for them. And so you have to perform to be okay. Okay. I'll leave that alone. It goes on to say this right here, verse 17. I hope this is stirring something up in your heart, family. I mean, these, these truths have set me free. These truths have helped me so much. But listen, God has been dealing with me over the past two years about my will and not being under submission. So I'm dealing with two different mindsets, those that don't know Jesus as Savior and Lord and those that do know Jesus as Savior but not as Lord. All right. Luke chapter 15, right after, he says this. When he finally came to his senses, how many of us know that this is not repentance? It's just him coming to the realization, I'm a moron. I shouldn't have gone out and did this stuff. I shouldn't be over here in this life. I shouldn't be eating with the pigs. It's not repentance. It's just rock bottom. That's what this is. This is nowhere else to go, so I go to Jesus. We all know people like that, right? I was that person. I I grew up an atheist and a drug addict, and the only time I went to Jesus is when he appeared to me. Rock bottom. This is, the only, this is not repentance. This is just rock bottom. This is just no other, way to, no other place to go. And so what does he think to do? I just go back home. But I want you to pay attention to what he does. Now, he took his will off, off from under submission, so now he is accustomed to following his own voice. I am saying some things that have changed your life, family. I want you to pay attention to what he says to himself. When he finally came to his senses, his senses, he said to himself, another self-proclamation, at home even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me as a hired servant. Now, this sounds like humility, doesn't it? This even sounds like repentance, doesn't it? The half of us know the father never required him to sacrifice his sonship in order to come back home. Do you realize these are judgments that are coming from, the, from his voice and not the voice of the Father? And so even though it is clothed with this idea of this false humility, false humility says this, I had to demean myself in order to exalt my God. And so what he is doing right here through his own self-judgments and self-proclamation, he is sacrificing his rights as a son and taking on the rights of a servant in which he was never designed to carry. I thought that was a good point. 
Are you seeing this mindset that is in church right now? There are are so many sons that have a mindset of a servant. You don't realize that you have sacrificed your rights as a son. And therefore, you bring people into slavery instead of freedom. You see, a servant only does what he is told. But a son actually knows the heart and heart of the father. And so he actually lives in obedience because of love relationship, not because he was commanded to. If the only time you follow God is when you're commanded to, then you're a slave and not a son. You should, be, you should know the heart of the Father and respond in the way that you know that he will respond because you're a son. And so, so many people actually sit around and wait for the conviction of the Lord to come on them before they even do anything for him. When you allow that to happen, it's God screaming at you because you won't listen to the whisper. Oh, man. Are you seeing this type of mentality? It it, it is stripping the the real true identity of the church. It is destroying the sonship that you and I are called to walk in. It's a sonship of freedom. It's a sonship of wholeness. It's not a sonship of slavery. It's not a sonship I only do when God forces me to do it. He's not going to force you. Oh, you hear me, family? When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, and so now he begins this journey back home. Listen, we're going somewhere. I don't know if you figured out how I teach yet. I take one point that goes deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper in that point. And so now he begins this journey. He begins this journey back home. But what is this journey? This is a journey of self-judgment. This is a journey of self-proclamation. This is a journey of condemnation that he has prophesied over himself. He is living according to those judgments, not according to what the Father decreed. Because the, 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 the Bible says the Father is anticipating the Son's return, not a sinner's return. We're going somewhere. You see, this type of mentality right here thinks is a saved sinner. Think about it. Were you a sinner? Yes. Did you need a savior? Yes. You're no longer a sinner. You're a redeemed son. You see, but this type of mentality evaluates their destiny based on their history. You see what I'm saying? They're still allowing their past to be the prophetic voice of your future. And so now they think, they think their, their right standing to God is based on how evil they were in their history. And so now they're allowing the judgment of their past to be the prophetic voice of their future, right? And so they're letting that voice constantly prophesy to them the level of destiny that they can have. And so he thinks the only place that he has in the kingdom, of now, in the kingdom now is actually that of a servant and not of a son. Wow. There was, the church, churches are filled with this type of mentality. We live, according to the, we live according to the revelation of forgiveness, but not according to the revelation of redemption. Did you get what I just said? We, we're in the Father's house. We know we have been forgiven, but we really don't understand how we have been redeemed. It's because we don't know how we've been redeemed, we, 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 we live according to the forgiveness of my sin, and we just, well, oh, Lord, I'm just so thankful. I'm just so thankful that you have forgiven me. And every single one of us needs this revelation. Every single one of us needs this heart attitude where we live with the thankfulness of what God has done. But it cannot be the primary revelation. The primary revelation is the fact that he has delivered me from sin. He has delivered me from bondage. He has delivered me from addiction. He has delivered me from that false land and he's redeemed me to back to his kingdom. You see, redemption deals with what you have been del- delivered from and what you have been redeemed to. I want you to picture this pulpit as the cross. How many of us know that the cross is not the end of your Christian life, it is actually the beginning of your Christian life? It is, it is not something that you come to to remain, it is something that you come to to die. The cross is there to kill that which was sinful so that, you, so that that which is holy and righteous can be resurrected. You see, a saved sinner comes to the cross, but they never step through the cross. Are you getting me, family? You see, a saved sinner comes to the cross, and they live in the revelation that I am forgiven, but they don't live in the revelation that I have been resurrected. So now, because their primary focus is not sinning,
I don't, I, don't, I don't spend my life being concerned with sinning because I, I have a new nature, which is righteousness, which is holiness, and now I'm preoccupied with living holy. You see, but a saved sinner lives with a mindset of crucifixion, but not with a mindset of resurrection. Let me say it to you a different way. Most of us, when you say yes to Jesus, you come through this cross. But most of us, our mindset is still here and not here. And what happens is when my mindset is here, then I am empowering Adam in my life and not Jesus. And if I am empowering Adam in my life, then I'm empowering disobedience to live. And if I'm empowering Adam in my life, then I will live according, I'll live according to his defeat, defeat instead of the victory of Jesus Christ. And so what happens, even though God has delivered you from encounter, with an encounter and he's delivered you out of something, because your mindset or belief system didn't transition with the deliverance, what happens is now your way of thinking takes you back into what God delivered you out of. I hope I'm not putting you guys to sleep. Listen, I'm, I'm sharing with you things that's going to change your life. And so this son, at home, he said to himself, even at home, the hired servants have food enough to spare. I have sinned against both heaven and you. Please take me as a hired servant. I want you to pay attention to verse 20 here. I have two minutes, and I'll, I'll let the captives go. Even, but there's no other service after this. I'm just saying. Luke chapter 15, verse 20. And so now he has began this journey back home and he's living according to his judgments and his bondage and his own self-proclamations and his, and his own perversion of his destiny, right? And he gets to the father and so he returned home to his father and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Now, if the father saw him coming from a far way off, that means the father was anticipating the, the return of a son, not the return of a sinner, now, I want you to pay attention to something. He, he saw him coming, saw him coming, and he says this, filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son. There's three things. He ran to his son, he embraced him, and he kissed him. And so now we see this father, he is waiting for his son to come over that horizon, and he's looking for that son. He's not looking for that sinner. He's not looking at the judgment. He's not looking at the condemnation that he's put on himself. He is looking through those things, and he's looking to the redemption, to the restoration of his son, and he's like, well, I can't wait until he gets here and he goes why, why, why does the father run out of the house to get him because he was not to, he was not about to bring that son into his house with the lies that he's believed about himself He's not going to bring him into the house as a sinner he's going to bring him into the house as a son you see, what a religious person would do would have brought him into, in, into the house and rebuked him in front of everybody and called it restoration. That's what religious people would do. But the father, filled with love and filled with compassion, he, he's like, I can't take it no more, and I'm going to run out here, and I'm going to get my boy. I'm going to get my son. And he was not with judgment and condemnation. He didn't walk to him and say, sacrifice your sonship. He didn't say that. He does three things. He says he ran to him. What is that doing? Establishing acceptance. He embraced him, restoring relationship. He kissed him, healing his emotional wounds. Oh, did you hear me, family? He 
ran to him, establishing acceptance, letting the son know, I am running to you because I don't want you coming here with those belief systems anymore. And I'm running to you to dismantle every lie you have believed about you, about, about you thinking I don't want you home. I'm here to show you I want you in my house and I want you here as my son. And so he runs to him and he's establishing that acceptance. And when he gets to him, he doesn't just look at him. He embraces him and he hugs him. That is restored relationship. And as this process of relationship being restored, he kisses him. And when he kisses him, all the emotional wounds, all the lies and all the deceit and all the bondage and everything that was in him that was not consistent with who he is was just healed and melted and broken. Is this okay? And he's standing there with his son. I, I promise you, I will end this. And as he's holding his son and as he kissed him, his son said to him, because because sometimes we don't know what to do when we get in the house of the father. All we know to do is recite what we have planned to say when we meet him. We have played it over and over and over in our minds for so long that even though we're in the midst of redemption, even though we're in the midst of the love of the Father, and even though he is telling us our real identity, it's so hard for us to get in our mind because we have so recited every lie so much. All we know to do is just to say what we have been planning to say. But I want you to see that the father didn't get a, he did not get offended at what the son said. He, his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, he doesn't even entertain the lie. He, he, he doesn't even give attention to it. He doesn't even give attention to this lie. He's like, man, boy, I don't know what he's talking about. And he's like... He looks to his servants and he says, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. Kill the the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for the son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. And he does three more things. He says, get the finest robe in the house. Who has the finest robe in the house, family? He does. The Father. What does this robe represent? The righteousness and royalty of the Father being being covered around him. Why is he putting a robe around him? Because he doesn't want him to look down and see his dirty garments. He actually wants him to look down and see the robe of righteousness of the Father and look down and see his identity, his royalty. He says, get a ring and put it on his finger. What is that? It's a restoration of position of authority. He says, put sandals on his feet. Servants didn't wear sandals, sons did. Man, I wish I had time to break these three things down and go more in depth to it, but I don't have time. Listen, family, this is the gospel that God has called us to. God has called you not to be not, not just to, to be in his house, but to be a son. But he's called you to surrender everything that you are. He's called you to surrender it, not because he's forcing you to, not because because he's going to control you in it, because he knows it's the best thing for you. Because if you keep going your own way, you keep your will submitted to your voice, you will constantly pervert what he has perfected. And you will constantly destroy everything he has in your life. And you will constantly find yourself in situations in a land and a kingdom you have built. And when you get there, you thought it was going to be prosperous. You thought it was going to be free. But when you get there, you're going to find bondage and feet every single time but the father isn't sitting in heaven building up all these accusations to you he's waiting for the moment that you come back home so that he can bust, burst through those lies and those deceits and reestablish if I can have someone get up on the keyboards that'd be, that'd be beautiful with that being said, I want, to give, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to this message. And I'm going to do this a little bit different this time. Is this okay, Pastor? I want to go too, too long. I want to give you an opportunity to respond. And I want to talk to two groups of people right now. The first group of people, you don't even know Jesus as Savior. 
You probably have never even heard the gospel of Jesus Christ presented like this before. And, and, and listen, I wasn't coming this morning to present Jesus, uh, Jesus only as your Savior. I'm here to present him as the Bible clearly decrees it as your Lord. And I want you to understand that when you say yes to him, he is not just your best friend. He is your God. He is your creator. And that means a submission of the will. That means a surrendering of your life. I'm speaking to the second group of people. You are a believer. You've been walking with God for years. But yet you find yourself often, more times than not, taking your will out from under submission to the Father and going and doing your own thing and saying your own words and and doing what you desire instead of what he desires. I want to give both groups of people an opportunity to respond to this message and an opportunity to come as a declaration, as a demonstration, as an example to everybody else to say, I'm here today, in this moment, in this day, in this time, in this hour, I am here to surrender. And so that is you. I just want you to begin to make your way up here right now. This this gentleman right here, I see the Lord all over. This gets shoulder to shoulder, all the way down, all the way down. Face me, shoulder to shoulder, just like that, sir. Just wait right here for a few moments. It's okay. You see, the only reason I'm, I'm calling people to come up here because there's something about that walk that breaks things off. There's something about the response. There's something about coming up and saying, I'm willing to demonstrate before the face of man my surrender to God. And there's something about that surrender that breaks off fear, that breaks off bondage, that breaks off lies, that breaks off hopelessness. There's something about this walk right here. It's going to solidify the stance. It's going to solidify the statement, what you're doing, the surrender that you're doing. (laughs) I want every one of us to close our eyes right here. Let's close our eyes. I want you to repeat after me with a prayer. And after we repeat this prayer, I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to fill you. And I believe that some of you are going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I feel like some of you are going to be sent on assignment. So I say this together as a family. Lord Jesus, I acknowledge you as Savior. I acknowledge you as Lord. I choose to submit my will to your Lordship. I turn from my wicked ways. I turn from my own kingdom. And I surrender it to yours. I now acknowledge you as the king of my life, the savior of my life, the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name. We hope this message encouraged you today. For more information about Burning Hearts Church and our mission, please head to burningheartsfargo.com. If you are in the Fargo area, we would love for you to join us at one of our Sunday services, either 9 or 1045 a.m. Have a great rest of your week.